Welcome. Welcome, everybody. Our 5G reception is complete. We've both got our shots. Double. We're... We got both our second shots. Yeah, exactly. That's why we're not wearing masks today. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. You even don't have glasses. It fixed your eyes. It's incredible. Look That's out. true, yeah. I can actually <laughs> see through the wall over here. It's really cool. Yeah, I'll just take listening to the strange voices in my head. They're just clearer now. I think it's really nice that everybody gets different powers from it. Mm-hmm. It's like the, 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 what is it, those Terra crystals or whatever from the Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You ever watch that? I did, I, you know, once Daisy got her powers, which it was cool, like, leading up to that point, yeah. and then it just, like, the show is a little hard for me after that. Yeah, I got it into, like, the fifth season, and then I just didn't care anymore. Same thing with Falcon and the... Well, I mean, not that Falcon and Winter Soldier has lots of episodes, but I watched the first one, and I'm like, meh. I'm just done. Yeah, so I did... I did. Uh, fit, I am up to date on that one. It's more like I had a, a Sunday... We had a kind of a busy weekend. And so Sunday, I finally just... Like, 5 o'clock, everyone just wanted to like, not do anything in the house. Mm-hmm. And so what I not did was sit on the couch and caught up on that. Hmm. Is it worth catching up on? Um, the last episode was definitely the best one. Okay. In terms of like, it, it got it kind of got interesting or whatever. I I don't know. It's it's not. It's exactly what I expected from yeah. that show. Where, like, WandaVision was like you never knew what to expect, even if you yeah, thought you knew not- what to expect. It was so it was interesting, and it was just. Like cinematically, like the way it looked, and like all the period things they did, and then the little nostalgia things, like, and the acting, and everything was just top notch. I feel like in Wandavision, yep, where the acting or whatever, it's like, eh, it's okay. The the production quality is great. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it looks like a movie, but uh, yeah, it's just kind of, eh, it's not that interesting, like. The characters are okay, I guess, but there's no real, like, nemesis or whatever that's well... I, I don't know. Like, I feel like... We've talked about this before, like, with the the Netflix series Marvel comic stuff. Mm-hmm. The ones that had a very strong villain were awesome. Yep. yep. They were so good. I- and then the ones that had, like, a very uninteresting flat villain, they're just... They're not very watchable. <laughs> Defenders of New York, like they were leading up to this huge thing, and then yeah. like Sigourney Weaver's character comes in, and you're kind of like, who? And you just, I didn't care. But, but at like, least she was okay. And then when she was gone, it, yeah, like, she could have been something. Like at least she's a good actress, you know, or whatever. And then they yeah. like, with a uh, spoiler alert, I guess, but they they take her out relatively quickly, and then you're like, there's like nothing. There's nobody yeah. interesting at all. I mean, King. The last season of Daredevil was absolutely phenomenal. Oh like, yeah, they the finally end, gave Kingpin just as much time as Daredevil exactly. wanted, and he's awesome. Um, what's his they, face? They did a, just a phenomenal job with that. I loved that. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, I don't know how the heck they're going to top it. So as disappointing as it was that they weren't continuing the series, it's kind of right. nice to end on that much of a high so note. So high, yeah. It, you know, it's like, man, eh, maybe not touching this is a good idea. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that was my problem. Like, I think the Punisher character was pretty interesting but gosh i i don't even think i finished the show that, that series I the first season i thought the first season was great and i didn't bother with the second season uh, jessica jones i think i watched all th- three of them 
I definitely watched the first season, and the second season, I think... I never finished the third season. There's three, right? I think there's a third one. Is there two or three? I can't remember. All I remember is there is a Hargrave, or a... Kilgrave. Kilgrave, yeah. I'm like, Hargrave is not right. And he was awesome. Yes, absolutely. So that was that was a great show. The first season, yeah. yeah. Second season with like her mom was just kind of like this is kind of boring. <laughs> That's right. Like I'm hoping for something interesting, but it's like all right, I'll just slog through this just because I got ready for Defenders of New York that yeah. way. And then uh, then the third season, I didn't even bother to start because it oh, just... it's the third season. I didn't finish it. It was like her friend or whatever. Right? Yeah, I know they tried to bring in that cat like reflex character thing for what's her face yeah the, the blonde girl in it but uh yeah i just stopped getting i lost interest in them all yeah uh, it's too bad yep anyways yeah so i guess talk- maybe we should talk about guitar yeah. so how does daredevil play guitar <laughs> <laughs> like jeff Healy? or uh how would you say that because he's blind yeah Jeff Hughes was blind and played phenomenal guitar. In fact, he did stuff that nobody else can do because he had five fingers on the fretboard. So we're stuck, you know. Uh, that was I'll never get over seeing him the first time, like on a video or whatever. I was like, you've got to That's just unreal, like yeah. that level of approach. And um, though, like his phrasing and it, it, outside of the, you know, you could call it a physical disability without being able to see. But what he did with the guitar in terms of that was just like huge. Like he didn't have, maybe he didn't have the same um, socially reinforced norms of guitar because he just never saw one. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. It's just kind of taking it like, okay, he's never seen it. So he's holding it in his lap and he's playing it, you know, this way and stuff like that. And he's got the these huge chordal stretches that he can do and voicings that are just completely inaccessible for the rest of us. He created his own thing, and it was awesome. Like I, yeah, I sure. love. It. It's too bad he, he passed away, um, but that's kind of like you know, to kind of like chime in a little bit more down that thing of like, does the blindness affect uh, things in a potential positive way? Because the way that you're looking at it is not, again, socially reinforced. That's the only way I can think of is that. Yeah, like, sure. So yeah, like, uh, go ahead. Oh no, keep going. No, I was going to say, like, you have that kind of situation with Rodrigo as well, the classical composer, because he was legally blind. You know, whenever he was writing something, he was, like, you know, super close to the score, getting in there. And rumor had it that he, like, only touched a guitar one time, which makes sense because a lot of his writing has some voicings that are, like, really? Like, (laughs) you're going to do that to us? Maybe maybe the pencil slipped. Yeah. No. No. There's too much consistency in in the difficulty level. To count it uh, with that uh, uh, level of uh, it was it was definitely intentional. It wasn't a mistake. <laughs> There's no, there are no mistakes like that. So the only guy that would do the mistake stuff it would be Tedesco, and his writing like is phenomenal for guitar. He like had voicings that were literally impossible. Like you'd have to like some of a good a substantial portion of his writing you'd have to go like yeah i'm dropping this note and i'm dropping because you had to do something it was just impossible to, to play it all and it was cool stuff but you know that's just kind of like what you run into and that's the advantage of getting stuff composed by somebody that's never played the instrument and the disadvantage in one way they think in a completely different way 
And another way is they think in a completely different way. So you don't know what you're going to get. Um, almost like Stravinsky with the, I think it was a, the Rite of Spring, or maybe the Firebird Suite, where he had a chord on the violin, and the violinists are like, that's impossible. How do you play it? And they hand it, and he's like, show me the violin. And he's like, I play it like this. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, okay. I guess that's how we do it. You know? Um, yeah, sure. and I, as much as I'm a fan of Stravinsky, I'm not an, an autobiographical fan of it. Or a biographical fan of them that much. I sent you that link to those like cartoon things. Did you watch any of those? Have you seen the, those? Uh, wait, wait, the cartoons or the um, the toy orchestra? No, that's something different. Okay, <laughs> two two different things. So there's this there's this like toy orchestra of the Rite of Spring thing that's awesome. That like was squeeze toys. Yeah. Um, and, but it's just like yeah, <laughs> that that had me crying. Mean, it's only like yeah, it's like thirty seconds, but it's wonderful. Oh, it's no, great. there's a another link I sent you this week. I found some page, and it Is should be the... way more popular because they're awesome. It's like all the stories about these famous pieces and Rite yeah, of Spring. Okay, the 1812 Overture. Yeah, I forgot to watch that. Oh yeah, so the 18, the Rite of Spring one's really good. I just happened to be on the 1812 one. Is the one I sent you. Mm-hmm. Um, but. And there's only like 15 or so. They must take a little while to make them, but they're pretty funny. And they're well done, and they tell you about the history of these pieces. But the this, the Rite of Spring one was kind of interesting, cause, which makes me wonder if it was what you were talking about. Because they're kind of like joking about it, too. Like Stravinsky brought it to the orchestra, and they're like, the musicians are all like, this is wrong, you made all these typos. And, and he's like, no, they're, they're not, you know. There's all this tension. And it was leading up to the fact that there was like the biggest riot. Oh yeah. Ever, you know, the first time they showed it. Burned down the opera house. Yeah. And which, which actually led in, it was the opening of the opera house, right? Is that what you said? Yeah. So Not they, the, I don't know if it was the opening, but they I'm pretty sure up. it was like the first thing there or something. <laughs> so this whole angry reaction to music isn't anything new. So there was, a, I think there was a social class thing, which is the reason why there was things. So like the bohemians were down at the bottom and the aristocrats are up at the top and they were the, the really rich, wealthy, you know, arts or whatever, high society, they were booing it. But then like the Bohemians were cheering for it and they were instructed to not, um, stop playing. There's also a ballet with it. That was really weird and different, right? Well, it's the rite of spring. I mean, it's basically about human sacrifice. So it's, I I don't know if it was all the music, I guess is what my point was. Cause like the high society was expecting like typical ballerina sort of thing. Mm. And here they were doing like, I don't know. There was, there was all kinds of interesting things about it, but. Well, yeah. Um, the human sacrifice for thing. It's like the first death metal album performed but, live. But, but even like their posture and stuff, like they weren't using yep. like proper ballet posture mm. and all these kind of things on um, where they put their heads and they, ne- they never like, these are like things you don't do, you know, the, the, the rules, um, so I don't know if it was all against the music. If I think it was like a combination of both. Cause they talk about in that video too. I think it didn't become a success till it was like the ballet part of it wasn't shown with it. As soon as the, <laughs> as soon as it was just the music, people seemed to like accept it or something. That's interesting. But, uh, yeah, the musicians were, I guess were complaining about it not being right. So that's, that's how I got there. Yep. No, that makes sense. I mean, whenever something is that... I mean, it was groundbreaking. It basically tore up every convention that you could possibly think yeah. of. I love um, that piece. I 
It's, it's phenomenal. That's like I'm, a piece you can spend the rest of your life, like diving into all the little yep. nuances of it and still not know it. Yeah. <laughs> all it the way, you know. Something new to, to discover, which is kind of like the question is like, did he, did he know there was that much nuance going on or is that just his style where he was just like, ah, it's just like what I do type of thing. Cause I, I this may be semi apocryphal, but I remember reading something or watching a video on him where he would basically like, you know, he'd be sitting down to write, but he wouldn't sit there and write like, uh, in the sense of linearly all the time, he would sit there on a piano and, and like, come up with the, these chords and then write the chord in yeah. and then come up with another chord and write the chord and then connect them with that. And, you know, everybody's got their co compositional quirks in terms of how they come up with something. Um, yeah, no, but he was a tinkerer, right? Like yeah, he wasn't, exactly. he wasn't Mozart who just like heard it and then wrote it down and it was perfect or whatever. Um, first pass. He was like, yeah. Oh, let me try this. And then like, yeah, a couple of weeks later he might be like, Oh, I think I'm going to change that note. Hmm. I think this would work better, or maybe I'll use that chord over here or something. Yeah, instead. Yep. Um, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> kind of skipping around a second, but like they, they talked about the different types of geniuses. I think we talked about this before. Yeah, we so talked about that. Like the the younger geniuses, the like child prodigies, they tend to be the type that like don't that they're not tinkers. They're uh, more like absolutist or something where like a Mozart, it's like, well, this is the way it is. You know, they're not going to change it. Like, what would I change? Like, this is just the way it is. That's, that's how it's supposed to be mm -hmm. where they're like later, like people who be, or like the late geniuses who aren't child prodigies tend to be tinkers and mm -hmm. they're constantly modified. I'm trying to remember what the artists were because they were talking about painters. I, I don't know if it was Cezanne one of them it's like you can find like 70 versions of a painting oh, before yeah. you get to like the one that's famous mm -hmm. and there's like 70 different versions before you get there where like picasso or something it's like there's only one <laughs> like mm -hmm. there's only one of that thing they never tried to make it another one like it or didn't like try to learn anything from it it just was what it was and i, I might i'm probably messing up and picasso might be the other way around or but i i feel like he wasn't so it's like some people are like, this is the way it is. It's perfect, sort of, already. And other people are like, well, I need to work on this for 40 years before I'm ready to show you yeah. what it is. You know, it's like uh, Koskin, when he wrote the, uh, or Koskin, however you pronounce his last name, when he wrote the uh, the Prince's Toys, it was a decade-long thing. Yeah. It took him 10 years to write it. Um, <laughs> then kind of like to jump in with that meme that you sent me about the tool, you know, it's like, oh. I did turn around with the drop D for an hour. There's no way that the new two album, 13 years to write. Oh my gosh, dude, yeah, I almost spit off my coffee. It spit out my coffee. That was, just, <laughs> you know, it's, it's great. I love poking fun and stuff like that. And that was just perfect. <laughs> perfect. Um, but, but like, actually to, tool would i mean at least the way they presented that last album makes me think they're not tinkers really maybe not in that same sense they they're formulaic in that they took an idea that they came up with 30 years ago and haven't changed it much like sort of intentionally um where 
like Radiohead or something. It's like they're total tinkers, you know. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they probably don't even play. I don't totally. I don't know this for sure, but I doubt that if they played Creep or something like that. There's no way they play it the way that it is on the record. Oh like, yeah, like I can't it's, imagine. It's completely that. changed at this point, and they have some weird version of it. Or weird, I say weird, but an evolved version of that song yeah. than what they would have played 30 years ago. But mm-hmm. if Tool played a song from 30 years ago, they would play it exactly like they did 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting to think about. I wonder if that's a genre to an extent. You know, not that I'm discounting the improvisation. Oh, abs- absolutely. Um, well, I don't. I don't think that Radiohead would be improvising necessarily. Yeah, that's what I was. That, that I was immediately going there. It's like I can't see them doing like crazy improvisation with those huge moves of, or whatever they got up on stage, and and just kind of like winging it. Um, well, I would think that the, at least the, my impression of them is they would say, "Oh, we should redo the way we do that verse." Remember how in the verse we did this thing. <laughs> Like, what if we, instead of we, you know, and then they, they can sort of com- recompose it. Mm-hmm. Um, and not so much like just wing it. I don't think they're winging it in the sense of... Jam band Let's we'll see what, like, every night it's different. I bet that's not it. I oh, bet, yeah. I bet it's like if you cut it every five years, it's a it's something they did for a year. But after a year, they re rearranged it. And they rearranged it and rearranged it until eventually it's... Sounds probably nothing like the original. Um, it's constantly evolving. Yeah, what was it? You two used to open their concerts as a country band covering their own songs. Nice. Like it, it, it that uh, uh, they would just come out and just like do these countrified versions of everything, and then they walk back for a half hour or so, and then come out as the actual band to the official concert. Which is like that's kind of cool. Like just to take that much liberty with stuff, that would be that would be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, that's fine. Anyway, so how do we even get to this point? Uh, <laughs> oh, and my the thing I was gonna say before was you were talking about how being blind. Oh yeah, has, yeah, has yeah. some advantages, disadvantages, or whatever. Um, I was talking to my daughter about how people hear voices in her head. Like we all hear like a voice in yeah. our head when we're like talking, and some people don't hear voices mm-hmm. in their head. Mm-hmm. And then I, I've seen these discussions like on Facebook or something, and somebody said, well. When you read, don't you hear like a voice in your head? And they're like, "No, you do, <laughs> you do." And that would. Said, and I and I was saying, well, I, I and my daughter was like, well, that that doesn't make any sense. How do they know? Like, you have to read in your head, right? And I'm like, does a deaf person read in there? Can they read? And she said, yeah. And I'm like, if they've never heard a voice in their life, <clears throat> do you think they read the words aloud in their head? Mm-hmm. And if, of course they don't. I don't even know what it would sound like. Yeah. They have no comprehension of what it would sound like, but they can still read. Mm-hmm. And actually they've done studies, like people who are deaf read like 10 times faster than people who are not mm-hmm. because well, yeah, cause they're saying not it... boggled down by going like the car went to yeah. the market. <laughs> Which market? Yeah. And th- that was one of the things uh, Julie made me do is like reading test because she was always getting frustrated that I was, we'd start a book together and I'd be like, you know, 100 pages ahead of her in the same session. She's like, what the heck? So she made me take a speed reading test. And apparently I'm like in the top 1% of, you know, whatever that speed reading thing is in, in, uh, in yeah. terms of speed and and retention, uh, which was the big thing. They're like, the retention is a big thing. And I'm like, okay, well, whatever. You know, it was just 
it was like read this thing, answer a bunch of these questions, and the yeah. faster, the better. So I was also in a competitive mode too. It's not like it. It all it, you were focused, like, and you had the right amount of coffee and everything that day. And... Yeah, it was like all right. I'm just gonna I'm gonna do this to see how quick I can really read, like put effort into it, rather than what I consider my casual reading pace, where it's just kind of you know, I, I can read generally quick, but yeah. um, seeing that it was like holy cow. Okay, I guess when I d decide to really just kind of go, and it's not like I'm reading each individual word, it's like the paragraphs are like stamped. Yeah, I sure. Guess it's type of thing. So uh, it's uh, whatever. I, I don't want to get side topic on speed reading or <laughs> all that stuff, but I get. Well, that that's one of those like the more you the more you read that ha the more that helps too. I know, like oh, yeah, when yeah, I, I I like I never really liked reading until I was nineteen or so, really at all. <laughs> And it's because I moved to New York City and I was on the subway and I used to ride the subway like an hour to work. Yeah. And if this was before like your phones had anything more than like <laughs> maybe one little like crappy game on it or something, right? The so snake or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And you had a CD players and everything. It's not like you had endless music. <clears throat> so uh, I remember I got books and then at first I really was slow at it. But then didn't take very long before, you know, it, was re it might take like, you know, like two, three weeks to finish a book, like, you know, 500 mm. page book or something. Till eventually I was finishing like three or four books a week, you know, because yeah. like one day, you know, like two hours you could finish like 300 pages or something. Once yep. you get to like practiced at it. Yeah. And it all, I mean, there is a big variance in terms of the depth of the reading. More technical stuff. Oh, sure. The breaks go on versus, you know, if it's a sci-fi or a regular novel, it's like, nah. unless it's Dune, like the, <laughs> yeah, it where it combines both. I, don't know, so um, I think it was Jeremy. I was like, he started it and it was like, oh, this is kind of like a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, once yeah. you get a hundred pages in, does, it starts to like, you've, you've learned everything you needed to. Now you can actually like kind of get through it quick. Mm -hmm. But that first hundred pages of Dune, when you haven't read any of it, it's like, wait, what name was that <laughs> with yeah, 17 exactly. consonants yeah. in it? <laughs> yep. And But I love those types of books. Oh, yeah, it, yeah. It's like For a sure. lot kind of set up, and then all of a sudden you can see the pieces play after that. Yeah, and eventually you get in, like, cruise control. Yep. But for a while there, you're like, I don't think I know if I'm going to finish this book. <laughs> you know, I, I've always meant to read Ulysses, too. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a monster. And uh, I know a big part of that is like the context of it too. Like you can't just read it. Like you need to know yeah. like historical and political facts and stuff like that. Um, but I've tried to read it twice. The first time I was way not ready. The second time I think I could have read it, but then the, I actually started it last year because when I travel, I read a lot. Mm -hmm. Like on when I'm flying. And I was like, I had been reading a lot and I had been traveling a lot. So I had a lot of reading time. So I was like, my reading chops were really good. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, I think I can do it. And I got about 100 pages in, I think. And I was keeping up with it. But then I didn't travel anymore. And then, yep. like at home, I don't, it's hard to get time. And Oh, like, yeah. I mean, I usually read at night before I go to bed. Probably about a half hour, 45 minutes. I don't, I don't know because like my rule is, is once I'm in bed, I don't have any electronics with me. If they're all off to the side, I have no clue what time it is. I'm just kind of like doing my thing. Otherwise, I don't necessarily sleep well. So it's, uh, 
What's the way to put it? It's, um, I don't, I don't know how long I'm reading, but I generally, like, if I'm in a casual reading mode, it's usually a book a week. It's like, how I'll, I'll fly through it. But, uh, it all depends on what I'm reading. So, right yeah, now yeah. I'm reading, what am I reading? I am reading a book on homicide, like a evolutionary psychologist's take on why Just a little light reading, yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, it is dense. Like, I think it is an actual textbook, but it was from another book that I was reading that I got it. Uh, and then um, it's the same guy that recommended – not the same guy. Well, same, I guess, yeah. It's the same guy that recommended that book, The Physics of Wall Street. Same book. It was like physics of Wall Street and homicide. I'm like, oh, all right, I'll check these out. You know, if this is where you're getting your ideas from, I'll, I'll, I'll see where they come from. And that is really fascinating. It's just very interesting to see like how they stack it up and how they uh, are these wait. the books to like help the psychopathy like take over. <laughs> no, 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 it's 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 really just a psychological outlook of like why these things, why would these things happen, and what evolutionary purpose does patricide serve or could serve type of thing, or you know, filicide or whatever. Um, clearly, suicide isn't part of that because that doesn't really help serve any direct evolutionary process for that person at the time. And this is the only lens that they're coming at it through. They're not looking at it through like societal factor. Or whatever else they're just looking at it like or, and i guess societal kind of plays into it because of the evolutionary yeah. thing but it's it's fascinating dark but fascinating you know it's just like this amount of people and given this age range are more likely to kill their parents you know it's like oh things to note keep an eye on my boys so. I, yeah really there was a show and now i'm was it mind killer or something it was on netflix no oh, i i think i know what you're talking um i watched we watched like a it's the thing where the the guy was like trying to figure out what's going on in the serial killer's heads, right? Yeah, it was actually pretty interesting. It was yep. different than I expected, um, and I don't remember if we finished it or if I finished it. But I thought that it was because allegedly it was based on like real, yeah, real times or whatever, where they're like, "There's evil and there's good," you know. It's like, well, it's a little more nuanced than that. Mm. No, there's evil and there's good. There's the bad mob guy and there's the the good non-mob bad guy, right? Yeah, like, only... yeah, but like the mob guy isn't the serial killer. The like serial killer is like generally normal in a sense, right? Yeah, it all depends. I mean, it, it really it's a it's a fascinating subject to get that type of like what makes a person tick that particular way because it's not like they just wake up one day and be like hey yeah. this is what i'm gonna do it's usually a longer process that gets to that um but let's stick to the guitar and not stereo colors <laughs> unless there's a guitar serial killer out there okay let's find out i don't know about serial killers, but there's certainly like are you who's i think it's roy buchanan are you familiar with him the name rings a bell yeah you should be you should go look him up Amazing guitar player. Um, played a telly. He would like crank it ten on everything. Turn it the, <laughs> the other way. Turn the amp around. Like totally dimed. Really um, awesome guitar player. Would use like do wah stuff and whatever. Like he's one of those people who's like the greatest guitar player you've never heard of kind of person. Okay. Um, but he's a legend now. But I guess he was a he was a drunk, um, and he would end end up in jail sometimes. And one time. I think he got like, I think he got like beat up in jail or something, like and died. That's how he died. 
Hmm. Or was he was hung himself, but like people were like, he probably didn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> there's like there's like, like Epstein. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit like Epstein thing. <laughs> um but I don't I don't know, it's kind of interesting. There's a lot of there's like little folklore things. Hmm. Well, maybe not folklore. That's the that's the most I can think of as far as close to like yeah. killer oh, thing. There was no, there was another metal band where the guy was accused of murder. What the hell band was it? I wanted to say Born of Osiris, but that's not true. Um, God, I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, I don't he, know. I, I don't remember hearing that. Like, legitimately accused of murder and everything else, and I think he's in jail. I think he did it. Or like, or, or at least he was found guilty. Right. Um, so that, uh, I, I, but whichever. So our serial. Right, go back to guitar. Our other yeah. guitar. Our, Serial killers. I'm putting that in the thing to look up, <laughs> just to, just to see if there are any. Uh, outside of guys that totally kill it with his. Okay, back on the topic. All right, so let's do. Um, let's see. We got to our two amps or tube amps dying versus digital because of that article that you sent or whatever. Oh sure. I've never played. The, was it the guy that said I didn't? Unfortunately, I didn't like really read it. So I'll just be responding to what you're gonna kind of. Yeah, the can, headline, which was, yeah. I've never played a real tube amp before. Yeah, yeah, that is. Well, I mean, I played tube amp. It's like I, I or like, the the premise was, hey, I'm a fairly accomplished player, um, been playing ten years or something, and never played a real tube amp. So, hmm. so. Like I'm assuming modern, like he's not like a yeah. I think that's... it was on like seven string or one of those like forums or one of those. I can't remember okay. what it was now. Or I think it was more like a metal kind of forum. It's kind of like, <laughs> I mean, wow, man, <laughs> that's uh, like because the the digital modeler stuff ten years ago was garbage. It was awful. Um. So, well, like, I mean, XFX was out 10 years ago. Yeah, the first one wasn't that brilliant. I mean, it was good, but it definitely isn't the same level of where things are now. Where it's getting, at least to me, it's getting harder and harder to tell the difference. But I can't imagine, like, well, that and you combine it with the idea that if he's first starting out, he's not going to have, like, this, you know, $2,000 at the time. How do you know? There's, How a lot do of people, there's a lot of people like that. <laughs> that just start out guitar and buy just, a two. They start album. off with like a Steinberg or like a Strandberg and a Axe Effects. <laughs> that wasn't you or me, but that, there are plenty of kids who start that way. Maybe I don't know. I can't imagine any parent being. But, like, but yeah. even thinking like amplitude or or something like that, like they could have had those things or. Maybe yeah. I mean those are those are getting there. Or, or if they said they said two amp, so it's possible they had like a, a line six spider or something. That's what I was thinking. That would do was more. The director. Yeah, I was John when we podcast for me. <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. But the uh, like, I would consider that to be like he played on solid state amps or my, maybe like the early modeling line six and uh, all that those type of things. Sure. Uh, but nothing like, you know, a Mesa Boogie dual rectifier or Subway Rocket or, you know, what a Fender Tweed amp or something like that. Um, so I, like, what was the, the eventual point of the article? Was you just saying, like, I've never played this and I'm 
I missing anything or what? Yeah, I think I didn't. It wasn't even really an article. I think it was just um, it was like a forum post that sort of took off, like a hmm. popular forum post. But it, it highlighted a. I think there was a lot of people on there that were like, "Yeah, me either." <laughs> you know. So then you think <clears throat> the people that are, you know that get the neural DSP or this or that, and they say like, "Oh man, it sounds just like a real amp." It's like, "Well, did you ever play a real amp?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I would suspect that a lot of the people who will say it sounds like a real amp actually never played one. So it's there's a little bit of that going on, probably. Yeah, that might be a big factor. Like, I look at it with that, well, you can't see it on the camera, but I have my spark, like, right over there. And it's a great little amp for what it is. It's phenomenal. You know, it, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm shocked at how good it sounds. And it's perfect for practicing. Like, absolutely fantastic. And then I just watched a video today on the best tube amp out there. Like, Monoprice sells it. It's like a 15-watt tube amp. You know, all legit tube Celestian speaker for like 225 bucks, which is a pretty freaking good deal. And it has a spring reverb in it. And I was thoroughly impressed with the sound of that, of that thing, especially for the money. It's like, yeah, that sounds like a great through, through your phone on YouTube. No, this was actually through my setup, not through these, but through my monitors uh, on I'm YouTube. So... <laughs> you no, know, I know I get it. Like, I do the same thing. It's like, well, that sounds great through my phone speaker. Why don't I put it in headphones and see what it really sounds like? Um, and I will say this much. YouTube's sources in terms of like streaming music are fantastic compared to Apple Music. Like if I stream something with my Apple Music on iTunes, this might also be a little asterisk on this. It might also be because I'm like only on Mojave and not in the latest version of Apple uh, Mac OS because I work in audio. So if it's working, I'm not upgrading. Uh, <laughs> I'm not clicking the, yeah, let's update everything. Oh, I just lost everything. That's wonderful. Or I have to pay out the butt for new plugins and everything else. But anyways, the uh, so like the YouTube, if you stream the same song from the YouTube album versus the, the the Apple Music one, the YouTube one is like phenomenal in terms of fidelity. Like it's fan freaking tastic. And I don't know how the, like what they're doing in it if it's wave files versus compressed ones or not. But it, I can clearly hear a difference like night and day between the two, no matter what it is, whether it's just vocal music, or a choir, or you know classical or metal or jazz. It doesn't matter. If I pull up the same track, it's ninety nine percent of the time much much better of a source on YouTube, <clears throat> which is thoroughly yeah, disappointing. Yeah, I feel like it's funny. Like Apple Music and Spotify are so popular, but their sound quality is. Horrid. Oh, it's, it's pretty poor. Like I, I, I still <laughs> even on like the high quality thing, it's it's really not good. Yeah, I am still thoroughly tempted to get that title. Like I'm just waiting on another deal and doing like the super high end thing. And I wonder if they even have a, a Mac, a native app on a Mac. That's the big question. Because I, I don't want like I had Spotify on my Mac and it it took over, like everything. It. Uh, it uh, in the sense of like, it would load itself up right away, and you'd try to make itself default all the time. And I'm like, no. Was it? I mean, even the standard plan title one sounds ten million times better than Spotify. Hmm. It's not even comparable. You see, I'm just hankering for the gold masters. Like, you know, it's like, but give me, give me the original studio masters because I got headphones now that can support that. And there's no native app, which is annoying. You know, I'm kind of wondering about that too. Like, so for instance. I um, I just loaded. I just I have a new track coming out 
or I just had a new track come out. In Bandcamp and stuff, whatever, it's 24-bit um, WAV file because they let you upload that. But when I went to CD Baby to distribute it, it made me change it to 16-bit. Hmm. <clears throat> you couldn't even, you didn't even have an option. No, that's so, um, And I know they distribute to Tidal. So, like, Tidal's not getting, at least from CD Baby, they're not getting a 24-bit or more higher-end thing. So, I was kind of wondering, like, well, well, how do you get, like, if you got Tidal and you got the premium $30 a month, whatever, hi-fi audio thing, like... How do you get that from an independent Yeah, how do I get them the right file? Yeah, because that does make a big difference. I mean, that, that, that 16 to 24 is huge, especially if you get these in headphones. Yeah, I mean, with really good audio system, you can hear it. You cannot hear it on regular stuff or even good stuff. Yeah, totally. You got to mm-hmm. really like, you, you can't really hear the difference. But but yeah, yeah. higher end stuff. Yeah, and especially like I one or two, if the standard is 24-bit, 44K, like that's like the standard master quality but we did that test what was like a couple months ago where i sent you the 192k <laughs> 24 bit versus 48 or something like that and i mean it was, it's like noticeably deeper sounding and all these kind of oh things. yeah like that's the... and then we're both 24 bit right mm-hmm. so how do i like i didn't master this record there for one the sources weren't that high of fidelity yeah. anyway but a... um if they were like how do i get that out into the world you know well i look, look at it like uh the the files that i sent to you on the album that i'm doing like oh yeah here's your 700 meg solo wave files for like one guitar i recorded it uh, with three microphones at 192k and uh edited it in that and then yeah so I, two minutes were like 12 gigs no yeah or something like that well either way like the the finished the exported uh file the mix down was close to 700 meg for a seven minute song which is all right a, a lot crazy for a solo guitar uh, type of thing but you know and I, I definitely like that quality don't get me wrong and then i fixed the issue of finding out how to export it a little bit smaller it <laughs> makes it like okay good now i can use my phone for this rather than having to have it sit down in front of a computer um well, I mean, it's also, uh, that's another, we should have done that test. We'll have to do that later. The difference between a WAV file 192K versus an MP3 at 320 and just, because I've heard from some people like you, it's really hard to tell the difference, but we, we never try. I don't think, I think we've done that with like 44K whatever. And mm-hmm. it, it was really hard. I, I don't know if you could actually tell the difference, but even with good stuff, if you could, it was it was so slight. Mm. But uh, yeah, compared to one ninety two k, I wonder if we would notice. I think we'd notice. I mean, especially with the headphones that we both have, it's like. But the problem is, is like if we did a comparison on the podcast, it wouldn't matter because like by the time we got the, the podcast source would be so low in comparison to what the actual things are that's coming out of the files what was on this not not on the podcast but just well then sorry everybody you're not gonna get that test tim said no it's only you have to listen to us and we'll tell you what we think well that is true it's our podcast um 
<laughs> Speaking of new stuff, though, that you're, you've mixed down, uh, let's let, let's, see, let's show everybody your lovely designs here. What's your, what's your lovely designs? The cup? Yeah. Well, we just oh, I guess maybe we didn't show. This. We haven't shown this officially on the thing. There it is, folks. Oh there man. A physical mug. So, it is awesome. I plan on ordering one shortly, just because it's a cool mug. Not that I like the music. <laughs> no. <laughs> the music's horrible, but the mug yeah, is really cool. Maybe I've just listened to too many of Tim tweaking it. <laughs> to, to appreciate like I can't it. listen to it anymore. <laughs> no, I definitely still listen to it. It's cool. Um, yeah, so this this was... It's funny, I've had this artwork for at least like three years, I think. Maybe two or three years. I was going to release an album of like shred tunes or something that I did. Cause I pretty much don't do that anymore. So oh, I don't remember that. You tried to copy, not in a negative way, but you tried to do like a Satch style of tune, a Vi style. Is it, was that the yeah, one? I just, yeah. I just had those though. They were like stuff I recorded. So it was kind of like the B sides. Like I was going to, I was thinking of it as like B sides shred album that, of stuff just to like officially put it out. Yeah. Um, I even did like a Bumblefoot cover and there were some different things. And at the time, so I had this guy work on the artwork for it, but I never put that out for a lot of reasons. Mostly that stuff should just die, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, man, maybe one day I'll put it out. So then Red Side Visible, this band's, it's kind of a, it's, it makes it hard to put it in a particular genre, I'm finding. More and more, <laughs> yeah, you've experienced because that. it's it's really pretty heavy sometimes, but it's also kind of silly, and then there's no really no bounds on, it. and there's improvisation, and there's saxophone, and there's all kinds of stuff on it. So, depending on who you ask, the metal person says it sounds like jazz, and the jazz person says it sounds like noise, and the noise person says it sounds like fusion, and the fusion person says it sounds like death metal, and the death metal person says, you know, so everybody has these. It doesn't fit nicely into anything. Well, um, I think that's what makes it good. I mean, outside of the good writing, you know, it... Uh... Right. So, well, anyway, that makes... The, this cup suits it. Well, not the cup, but yeah. the, the design yeah. of the artwork. So this actually is not probably going to be the, the artwork for the the actual record. Hmm. Um, because I have other artwork that's being done by the same guy that's pretty cool. So that... So more cool artworks coming, Sim like somewhat similar style, um, in like the greatest mustache on anyone ever of all time. <laughs> <laughs> so you can look forward to that, um, in you know in a similar like um, let's say like comic booky sort of style. But uh, anyway, I've been sitting on this artwork forever, and I'm so glad to show somebody. Like I didn't want to just like put the artwork out too originally, like because I didn't have anything to like. Oh yeah, of course. Push it with. And now I'm like, oh, it suits suits it so well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think it's what's nice is when I I start to like promote the record is whoever sees this cover, this you know, as it looks, they're kind of prepared a little bit better for what they're gonna encounter. No, well, I think the, the aesthetics in terms of album stuff uh, are really important to an extent. Like, there's something like you know when we were talking about like going to the music store and picking something out. The album cover was a big draw. Like uh, if you have it in the band, you just look at it it's like, oh, that's that's kind of cool. And nowadays, you know, you, 
the album artwork is there, but it's so small compared yeah. to like a, a vinyl or even a CD case, you know? I remember the vinyl stuff that my mom had. It was like a poster, <laughs> and it was really cool to see all the design work on it. And nowadays, yeah. it, there's the branding and stuff like that, and that that's kind of cool. But the uh, downside is is that since it's so small, you don't get to see any of the nuance and the oh the, yeah the the, the yeah, cool even even like remember going from tapes to CDs was kind of nice. Like, yeah, because the the size the, was like the oh, tape was kind of small, and it's like you sort of lost it, but it was still like what you sort of you know you'd stare there. You like you remember the days of like staring at the cover, like you'd pull it out, yep. you listen to the whole thing, and you're just like staring at the cover, mm -hmm. <laughs> like you just get transported because it wasn't like you didn't have your phone to look at or something, so you're just sitting there staring at the pictures, kind of reading the words as it's going on, and you're like, oh, the engineer, you know, and you start to learn the names of all these people and stuff. Yeah. Um, he's looking at the band picture or whatever, and the lyrics, and, and go, oh, that's what they're saying. So. Yeah, um, that whole experience is kind of gone. But yeah, when when we originally made this, when I was working with Ty on it, that that's and same with the new the new artwork that we're working through. It's very much like you know this is the kind of thing you would want to put on a T-shirt or a cup, like mm -hmm. that's kind of what we're going for. Um, where it's just interesting in its own right you know and it's it's just it's cool and it's not it's not too serious and it's kind of i don't know like like i think about some of the great especially like in the metal world i think there's a little bit more liberty to do these things you know when you think of like iron maiden and like eddie or whatever yeah. and and megadeth had their guy and i can't remember what that dude's called and and so the, it was kind of normalized to have these sort of characters, you mm -hmm. know? Like, I look at this little dinosaur on here. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's, like, that's like a character, you know, that's a character, like, that's pretty interesting and cool and yeah, and whatever. Um, you know, that you could put on t-shirts. And, and, and part of that vibe, I think, like, the reason why Metallica and Megadeth and Iron Maiden and all these bands sort of took off, too, is, like, it's not just the music. It was it was like you could identify the people who liked it based on their stuff they were wearing or whatever. It became like uh, something else. I don't know. So Click. and clicks aren't necessarily bad, but that's how you find people. You know, it's like I noticed that if I see another uh, person walking around with a very nice manicured french tip on one hand and nothing on the other i generally assume they're a classical guitar player it's like we have our little tells to see what's what um and that's not bad at all but speaking of which let's go down this rabbit hole of uh you putting your music out there and the responses that you've been getting so far in terms of like the constant like it, it just it never ceases to amaze me that in some way the genres become like tribalistic of what can potentially be part of that genre and what can't and what pushes it out and you know you have your purists but then again you know how did they how did the genre even form if you have this particular purist <laughs> uh, idea yeah you sure know 
Well, th that's not rock. It has horns in it. Well, we need to create a new character, and then they create whatever you know, ska. And what what designates ska, and what pushes something out of ska if they have guitars and horns? Is it the screaming metal thing that puts it back in the metal, or is it uh, the screaming thing? Like th using your track as an example, it's like what parts of that forces it out and what parts of it forces it in just like you were saying with yeah. like the fusion guys are like well it's missing this and that's not fusion-y and the metal guys are like well it's got saxophones in it and that's not metal-y and the, the yeah, jazz right. guys are like well it's got screaming in it and that's not metal-y or that's not jazz-like and you know you have like all these people making a call yeah on perceptions and now that you're on the receiving end of i don't even want to say criticism because I don't think it's necessarily literally, uh, criticizing anything. It's more of a gatekeeper thing. Yeah, there's a, it's a, there's a weird gatekeeper thing. So, in general, like, extremely positive feedback on the tune. I'm very thankful for that. But the, what the issue that I run into now is the... Um, it's like the people that actually listen to it are very positive about it. But to even get someone to listen to it, it's is is the challenge. And even when you go like so, I, I try to think. Well, what genre is this band um, most like? So, and and I'll back up just a little bit because we we had talked about this a little bit before, like the Pliny model. Like he mm -hmm. was like, you know, why don't you you know go to the forums, go to the places that people like the kind of thing that you're doing or whatever, and like you start getting in that community and you share it, and then that's like sort of how he built his thing but his his thing kind of fit nicely in this this niche and it doesn't mm -hmm. really go outside the bounds of that niche uh or is it niche is it niche or niche or niche 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 it's either or i don't know <clears throat> anyway so it's like when you fit nicely in one of those places you can say look i'm putting out a prog metal album for instance which base well mostly means like it has some kind of odd time signatures. It's metally, it's probably like a Mesa-ish sound. You know, like there's certain like qualities about it that sort of fit that, and it's somewhat dream theater-ish. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't have to have vocals. It can or it doesn't have to. That seems to be an okay bounds on there. But everything is no. There's no improvisation <laughs> in mm -hmm. general. It's not not acceptable. Um, I don't think. I'm not sure that horns are acceptable unless it's part of like an orchestra or something <clears throat> and then uh screaming may or may not be okay sometimes but not generally um but yeah it's kind of like where where do you find the lines where you're allowed to go in those areas so i think not well oh go ahead remind me i have a question for you on, on that particular thing um so it, so i think like well okay red side visible has weird time signatures um it's kind of, it's pretty much a metalish thing you know there's there's screaming in it but there's also singing in it <clears throat> um yes there's horns in it and there is improvisation in it it's very technical though um so you think it would fit like loosely in prog metal you know yeah it's, it's kind of one of my first thoughts but then so i started like going down the rabbit hole of trying to finding like prog metal facebook groups and then when you get to them, they're all like very subgenre. Like, well, this is prog metal slash melodic slash this slash whatever, and that that means it's only these kind of bands. 
know, it's this very like little narrow thing. And, or it's like prog metal slash death slash brutal slash something, you know? And it's like, it's only like this. So it's like, well, the people over here are like, well, there's no screaming in this one. You have screaming. You can't post your, you know, you can't share your thing. It, it breaks the rule of this group. <laughs> yeah. And this one's like, you can't break, you can't do it. You, you're breaking <laughs> the rule of this group. And so like, I'm, I've had a hard time finding safe havens. And, and the, and the interesting thing is when I've posted them in these places, I'll get a few people that actually like, like it first, mm-hmm. like it, comment, say something that's cool. And then the admins come in and they delete it. So it's happened. That happened like three times. They, okay. they, they're like this, and they, and it says, "Why did it get deleted? You broke the rule of the group. It has to be death, whatever. <laughs> you know, it has to be, <laughs> has to be, um, grindcore, not da 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 da, or whatever. you know, like some, like there's all these like a million subgenres, <clears throat> and I'm like, well, how do you even find, like, a safe place? So I'm like, well, maybe it's not, you know. so it must not fit in that genre of and the family of genres even though but then if i go elsewhere they'll be like well odd time signatures aren't really in our genre (laughs) and like yeah and you were saying like why don't you put in a zappa thing sorry one more last thing and i'm like well they don't like screaming or whatever so they can't put it there and it has like heavier guitars so like that's not that group either so it's like there's all these places that aren't aren't safe for it and see and no, I, I keep inter- trying to interject, and I, yeah, I go for it. Yeah, yeah, go for it. No, I, the the point that I was going to bring up is like, do you think that the subgenre boom of like this, like it's prog metal, but it's melodic and it's uh, you know it, with blast beat, blah blah blah. You know, it's like whatever you want to do to kind of like isolate a particular band or, or something like that. Do you think that's more uh, becoming more of a hindrance? than the bigger just subgenres of like metal, rock, jazz, blues, whatever. You know, it's like, it's great that we have all these little subs of subs of subs, but when you get into the potential conflict of where does this fit? Well, you know, it's like under metal, I think it would fit under the broad thing of it because of most of what's in there. Just, you know, I'm flying off the, the, the cuff here. But like, if you keep, trying to put it into another subgenre is that's where you kind of like nope it, it, it's not going to fit it's like trying to move a couch into a room it's like <laughs> we're trying to like angle it this way and see if we can get it around the corner or you know um so i'm wondering if that's like almost pushing as good as that was in terms of being an identifier now because it's so prevalent with everything and they have their own little uh well it's a gatekeeper so to speak or not so to speak exactly that's what an admin is um, putting up their things as to what's there and what's not, it doesn't allow any potential new thing to take form unless it falls into X thing, or at least that person's particularly X thing. And that's yeah, the right. other This is extraordinarily subjective on the admins. You know, it's like uh, seeing that you had positive feedback and then an admin come in and, and nix it is <laughs> like, come on. You know, it's, yeah, sure. it's not it's you know porn on some type of subreddit where it doesn't belong it's generally in the genre to an extent so they're just kind of being like well no i mean this and it's like i i I can't help but imagine like 
some guy with too many Cheetos being like, no, this isn't going in my thing. I'm an admin. Right. And I'm angry, you know, <laughs> as I get booted from all these groups now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I thought it was interesting because they every single one that I went on would say, you can do this. We encourage you to post your about your band, blah, blah, blah. You know, like they're all like, we want we want people to do it. Um, was the, generally positive on that front. Um, but then they would say, well, it can't be this, 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 you know, like this list of yeah. can't be political, can't be humorous, can't do this, can't do this to that. It's like, well, okay, well, probably going to get it deleted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at least you're doing the right thing and just putting it out there anyways. You know, the, the I, worst know. I mean, I can only do so much of that. Because I, I also, I think it's stupid and sucks when people just like blast post the same exact thing on every place. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and another thing is when I was looking in these groups, like if, if I went to a group that was prog metalish or whatever, and it had 16,000 followers or whatever, but then everyone who posted a video, like there's no likes, there's no interaction or whatever. I'm like, I'm not going to waste my time and post anything mm. there because that's not a, that's not a real group. Right. So I was trying to find the ones that actually have some kind of interaction that people are Bro, maybe, maybe listening or, you know, it's not just like a place where people dump a million videos and they just disappear into the ether. Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, trying to find communities. Um, yeah, to, to your question of like the subgenre thing, I think it's one of those things that's like, it probably was, it came from an innocent place of just trying to give something a name. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, well, okay, this has this element to it and now it's got blast beats in it and it's got this, so... It's not really the same as this previous version of metal that we had. Now we should call it something else, just to just so people will know that, like, hey, when stuff has this kind of like thing, it's sort of like that. Um, but then it turned like it's it's like well, you you wrote a name on it, and now you have these like hardcore fans that um, like protect the walls of that thing or something, and you can't you can't even get to it. Um, so ultimately, I think it's a bad thing. Um, like we maybe we don't need to name all these things. It's only you don't. You, the thing is too is it's like we were talking about this earlier. You and I, I think it was you and I. But it's like the audience exists. You know, you look at Mr. Bungle and Zappa and stuff. Like they have millions and millions of fans. So there's an audience for like, let's say genreless music. Um, that sort of crosses boundaries. There's an obvious audience for it, but you can't get to the audience. It's like a really mm -hmm. tricky audience to find. So, and then when you try to go into these little places and you share it to groups you think might like it, if they're if they're preventing you from even sharing it or trying to to find the, those people, you you just can't. Like you're just keep, keep getting blocked along the way, and that's unfortunate. So it's like the there probably is bungle fans like hiding out in some of these groups that the thing that might, you know, be the type of person that would appreciate this, but they won't even get a chance to hear it. Um, and I get that this is whole, like this is a whole marketing problem too. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I accept that and how popular you are helps and all these things, you know? So if, if a famous guitar player put an album out like this, they would have an easier time 
finding the right audience for it, right? Really, and it's not even a matter of finding the right audience, just having some a bit of fame interaction to start with. Like, if you have that reputation out there and you put some, out something new, it's like, oh, okay, I'll check out a little side project. Like when Victor Wooten jumped in with the Oxivision, doing that. It's like, I, I probably wouldn't have given the band too much of a, a listen originally until yeah, it was yeah. like, oh, Victor Wooten's playing Prague? All right, now I'm interested. So, you know, and uh, whatever. It became what it was. Um, and so that clearly helps somewhat. Like the name recognition is always something that'll, that'll be a draw. Uh, regardless of what you're doing, it's it's just. No, I, though I think I think Victor on that particular one it was just a session, dude. Yeah, oh no, I know, I know, and but, I, that, but that's like it's kind of, that's an interesting tactic too. I, I thought about that a little bit, like having someone solo or something on this that was a little more famous. I had a couple people in mind that would have done it, I'm sure. Um, and you know. I, like, well, do you let them do it? Because you know, the more people will hear it if you mm-hmm. put those people on it. But then I think, well, that's, it just seems like cheating or something a little bit. And I know that that's stupid because like in the grand scheme of things, does it really matter? But like, it, I don't know. It just feels like false advertising to go like hire somebody and be like, look who's in my band. Like, well, I mean, really they're in your are... band. Like they played on it, but they're not in your band. They didn't have anything yeah. to do with the vision of it. Those are the things where it's like featuring X artist. You know, it's like this track featuring blah. And there's a place for that. I think the big thing that, it, like, it, the conundrum that you're, you're pointing out is a matter of, like, do I do this in order to gain traction versus do I do this because I think this person will contribute something to the song that's going to make it better? You know, and that right. that's really, that's a... It can be a both and, you know, it's not a mutually exclusive thing, but it, that aspect of it happens to be totally subjective to you as the artist being like, what, what am I bringing this in for? Am I bringing this guy in because I like what he does and that's going to really compliment it? Oh, and he also happens, yeah. the nice thing is, is he's got like, you know, a million followers on Instagram or whatever. So there's a potential of kind of like piggybacking on that. And I don't think that's necessarily bad in any way, shape or form as long as it's serving the song to the way where you can continually have your artistic integrity. But if you're like doing this, it's like, well, you know, this is going to totally make you more money. And you're like, oh, okay, I'll sacrifice. You know, <laughs> though it might, I, I like some of his licks, but you know, I'm not totally sold on everything, but whatever it, it, it it'll help with the, the, the pushing the brand up a little bit. And even like, you know, it's such a weirdly saturated thing in terms of breaking through the noise to get somebody's attention with, with sure. some type of uh, uh, marketing aspect to it that it's um, where... Here's the question. Is it... Is it artistic integrity to use the potential marketing tools that are out there to bring your artist career to a further place? Or are you selling out at that point? Like, t- take the example of hiring the, the guy that can do a solo and has a huge following type of thing. Though you might not necessarily like everything that it, that he's doing, you particularly hire him out because his name carries weight and has traction. Like, is that something that... I don't yeah, but is that. it, like... I'm trying to think the, the right word. Like, it seems oh, like I, the I, integrity I, I, part of it is weird. Yeah. Like, not not it, even it, about like whether you like their stuff or not, 
that that's almost secondary but to go like hey i made this album and it features so and so whatever which is true yeah but if you're you're like being like look here's my band and it has victor wooten in it and it has jordan mm-hmm. rudis in it and it has chris potter and you know like this is the only yeah, band ever just... and it's like well it's not a band for one like it's definitely not a band because mm-hmm. all you did is you paid whatever fee they charged to do something on your record and especially if like all they did was lay a solo out on yeah. it you know that they maybe spent an hour or two like working through and then just recorded it um like i don't know that doesn't mean they're part of your band or you know, whatever yeah, so now exactly. you're like now you're like sort of false advertising well let's take away from the false advertising aspect of it and that i agree it's like if you say well they're part of the band but they're a hired session player that's clearly like that's a, a no that's a dirty thing to do because they're not part of your band they're back to play with you that's it you know um now if you're touring with them that's a little bit different yeah the, sure or or if they like play on the whole album or something yeah exactly yeah. you know that uh, um, that so let's let me let me redefine what the question there definitely for one track and it's just a hired come in and do a solo type of thing yeah so push it down to that aspect of it uh only that you know as an artist that you're hiring this particular person to do one thing on one track and that's it and they know that but your other uh, the underlying thing that you're also pushing is well, this guy's got a lot of followers. Yeah, and so I want to leverage their followers and hope that their super fans will go, hey, I didn't know Bumblefoot played on this. And yeah, exactly. Like, let me go check it out. Yeah. <clears throat> Even though they might not ever listen to your song, they just listen to the solo and move on. <laughs> well, that's why you put the solo, like, in the middle of the song. Or yeah, right. At least sit through two minutes before you hear it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, an inter- it's interesting to think about. Like, that, I mean, this is totally what, and I, I I don't know if the classical world's probably a bit like this too, but in the jazz world, if, like, say I was to sign a deal with one of the bigger jazz labels, they'd probably bring, bring in, they wouldn't let me bring my own band, like, not likely, to the session. It would be known names, probably people on their label, that would be the rest of the band. Like, this happens all the time. So, you, it's like... Oh, this, you know, Chris Potter's on this and, uh, you know, Mark Giuliani's on it. Like they're picking like known entities to play in your group for the record date. And then the other thing that they make, like every first couple jazz records that people put out on the bigger labels, like Blue Note, Criss Cross, these, like there will be jazz standards on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like like mm-hmm. you have to, like you might write all your own songs but you're going to put like all the things you are giant steps or something on there because that's just like the thing you have to do. So, mm-hmm. you, so you have some known names in your group and you can't, it's not like you can be like, Hey man, my, I have this great band in Cleveland. Like that's why you signed me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like part of it. And they'd be like, no, you got to use this person, this person, and this person. Mm-hmm. In, you know, and in some respects, you'd be like, "Well, sweet! Like I've always wanted to play with those guys; they're amazing." Yeah. But uh, at the same time, it's it's kind of like I, the reason they do it is for you know they they know that they'll get at least some people to buy it 
just because those other people want it and they don't even really care who you are. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And then they're hoping that maybe they will start to care about who you are after they hear you. Mm-hmm. Like you can't even get anyone to hear you because you don't have anybody famous in your group. So I, I get it. Um, I don't know totally how we got to this point, but that's part of it too, obviously. Yeah, well, it's jumping off of the question. And so it seems to be that the other gatekeepers are the marketing department and trying to get some type of familial, uh, not familiar, uh, familiar is wrong, familiar link between their new artists and the greater populace in terms of drawing them in and getting some. Sure. Like, I mean, clearly if you had like a, Thirty million dollar marketing budget, you could get your name out there relatively. Well, that's also that's very similar to like the pop world too, right? Like if you yeah. sign a pop deal, you get like some famous producer to do it that everyone trusts and likes. You get so and so to guest on your song, mm-hmm. you know, Justin Bieber guest songs, guest appearance or whatever, you know. So you you get some traction. I get all that. And by the way, I accept all that, even with Red Side Visible. Um, I know that's a hurdle. What I wasn't anticipating as much is that even at the like lower level, like marketing thing, like with face, like a Facebook group, Mm -hmm. like that you just get blocked out of those, you know, and that even when you're close, like you said, like, you know, you would think like tech metal, like prog metal, something, math metal, whatever you want to call it. Like, it would fit somewhat, you know, maybe adjacent to those things, but not. it's not like it's, like, crazy to think that it would fit in those kind of things. Yeah. Yet, because of the subgenre thing, you you know, you're, you're automatically blocked. <laughs> I so think you, can't, also... you can't even get to those people, I guess is my point. Yeah. And I, but I think that kind of, like, draws into the point of, like, you know, we were talking to... Way back when I sent you that podcast about the guy talking to like academic gatekeepers and so on, it just seems to be a, a rehashing thing. Maybe it's just an, maybe it's also because I'm reading a lot of evolutionary psychology or whatever, but maybe it's just a human tendency to, to form a particular thing and then gate around it and <laughs> maybe create some small community, regardless if it's you know some weird super sub genre of metal, new metal plus math plus. Screaming only for thirty seconds on a Wednesday, you know, right. type of thing or whatever. Um, and you can't wear might, white. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Some weird particular thing. That has no to go. cartoons on your cover. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever, and the, it reminds me of the South Park episode where it goes into the far future and there's warring factions over whether or not somebody eats off of their belly. Because like the platypuses have evolved to human consciousness, and they're like they don't eat off of their belly. So they're, they're, let's go fight them. So, anyways, um, and it uh, you know it, it, it. I guess you could see like the gatekeeper thing happens again and again, and not all of it is a, a positive result because clearly something new that is multifaceted in terms of its genre envelope doesn't it fit, but it's still got the same parts you know it's like you can yeah. this there and that there and that there and i think it's really disappointing 
fundamentally because we never see advancements happen when you try to put things in a particular genre box and that's it. You know, it's like, nope, sorry, it's got to be exactly like this to fit our, our thing. And it's like, well, it doesn't really do that. <clears throat> and in one sense, I will say that the, the academic high tower at least gets you some clout to do whatever the hell you want and still get it out there. Like if you, if I sat on a PhD in a school and did like an album of just the most whacked out stuff that I could possibly think of, just for an example, and I put it out there, I'd immediately get some clout, whether or not it was good, just because PhD was by the name. Mostly and, that's uh, true. There, There is an exception, I think. There, oh yeah, of course. Well, so. I, I want to, I think you could pretty much get away with writing almost anything you could imagine which you should do anyway, but let, as long as it's for orchestral instruments. See, I if think you bring yes, in no. distorted guitar with a Marshall half stack and you that bring like a, a synthesizer and like a drum kit and a bass player and a screamer, <laughs> you know, like there's a line there that it just seems like as soon as you put like electric guitar in this world, in that world, it really is tough to not get shot down by a lot of a lot of academics on that front. See, I from when I was taking the, some of the classes with Dr. McCarthy, he wrote a cello or not, not a cello. He wrote a, a quartet. I'm pretty sure that was based off of the the lick to D the Zeppelin tune. God, I can't remember that. Oh, from Heartbreaker. Yeah, 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 that, from there, yeah, yeah. The the entire quartet's piece was based off of that lick, and then it was also orchestrated for a full orchestra. At which point, they would hire like a local electric guitar player to come in and play that particular lick at that time. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's basically the whole solo, note for note, to an extent. And uh, um, so, I don't think that. And plus, Steve has done stuff with the uh, a, a choir and an electric guitar, which I thought was the craziest thing because he was like, "Yeah, I had to go out and buy a Strat, and you know, the the score yeah. had." the effects on at these particular things at particular times and it's all these other things to worry about outside of like not wrecking your nails on the steel strings or uh, the turn electric guitar and all that other stuff um he's like i'm playing with a pick it was the weirdest thing you know there were i, I never did end up listening to those i should at some point but uh, they were like totally through composed and, and and everything else uh for electric guitar and whatever the ensemble was and I think that there is some room for it. It all depends, like, at the level of the... Like, I can't see that happening at a Juilliard, but I could see it happening at, at like, a state university uh, pretty easily. Uh, and, I mean, I guess that does kind of wing true, because that's exactly where McCarthy was, is at a state university level. Um, so, I don't... Maybe there is something that once you've kind of, like, paid some dues, and I'm just waxing poetic, that yeah. you get... The ability to be like, I'm gonna just put this out, and then because I have, this yeah, story. I mean, if you have some clout, you can do anything in in a lot of places that, for sure. That created a little bit of a circular logic. It's like if you have some, if you work to have some clout, then you have clout to be able to do whatever you want. Yeah, exactly. Which gives you clout to do whatever you. It's like, uh, well, maybe, but either way, you know, we're just kind of uh, diving at this point from multiple things of how do you get this non-genre specific thing to be out there without people poo-pooing it 
left and right. Right. Well, um, even before they listen to it, right? Yeah, and I so, think that's the big thing that would aggravate me. It's just like, just listen to it. You know, yeah. that's all. Maybe you can start your own free listening Facebook group, you know, where it's like, you can put whatever the hell you want out there, out there, but it's got to be original. It can't be a cover. And it's got to be, you know, your own thing. That's it. You, you've... You, they wouldn't have to do the mastering end of it, but the, the mixing and the recording has to be at least, you know, your writing type of thing. Yes, it's, it's funny. Um, we had Brandon on here, and the place that we sort of got introduced to each other, it started as this, um, it was called Truth and Shredding or something, and then Chronosonic, and it's had multiple names throughout the years of the last, like, 20 years, mostly led by this one guy, Mark... Um, and there's sort of like spinoff groups from it too, but that little like community is basically the only music community I've, in terms of like an, like a forum or online kind of community, at least where it's actually open-minded where like someone could bring in a country tune or a rap tune or a class, you know, like. It's, you're just as on, on in those forums and Facebook groups of of this particular group, and there's about fifty to hundred people in each one. Of, there's two that I'm part of that are part of the originally from the same thing. Um, you're just as likely to see a country thing as you are to see Shostakovich, as you are to see um, Coltrane, as you are to see Radiohead. You know, any of those things are all like acceptable. Um, and anybody who brings their own music in is also acceptable. But it's a very tiny community. <laughs> and like everywhere else, even when they start with that initiate, you know, like they say it's going to be a certain way. It's like as soon as the loudest voices come in and they have some opinion about it, it changes the group to where it falls and puts these walls around it. Mm. You know, and we've, we've talked a, a decent amount about this, which is it drives me crazy how much people like don't even try to sound different. You know, like, yeah. like yeah. my initial reaction to it is, I guess I feel like when I grew up, if you sounded like too much like Kurt Cobain, like people called you lame for that. You know, like it's like, that's lame. Like, why are you trying to sound like that guy? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or like. Wow, you sound just like so and so. That's the lamest thing you could possibly do. You sound just like <laughs> Hendrix. Like, why would you do that? Like, that's so stupid. Um, but now, like, and I don't know if it's because you've got these niches. Maybe that's the problem. It's like, if you play nicely within that little niche that you're in, then you probably can get some traction in that group. Like if you if you fit nicely and you put out a pretty good quality thing, um, you'll get people responding to it, and you can grow within that community. And you're like in a safe place. But if you were to like step out of line, especially early on, you immediately get outcast in there. Like oh well, you know you used to always put up the prog metal death stuff, but. <laughs> He had a country bend in the last song. I just don't know if I can handle that. Why do you buy that telly? <laughs> yeah. You bought it. Yeah. You, you cannot play metal with a telly. Yeah. Like that kind of stuff too. Like visually, what does it look like? Um, so yeah, I, I wonder a little bit if the reason why people aren't being as creative 
is because they're learning that they can't be. Otherwise, you get ostracized. I mean, I found that out over and over and over again as a musician because I will play in the jazz world and I won't play in fusion and I will play in metal. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you play through all those things or even classical, like play through all those different things, you can get, you like immediately lose fans. Mm -hmm. People will be like, man, that was really cool. I didn't know you played like that jazz stuff was cool. Like that you did or whatever. And then they hear like a death metal thing or something. And they're like, oh, well, I don't like this guy. I hate death metal. <laughs> yeah. So then immediately it's like, well, I don't know what they're going to do. They don't even know what they're going to do. So I'm not a fan anymore. You know, like yeah. you're, you're always losing fans like with that approach. To an extent, I think you're absolutely right. It kind of reminds me of like why I have three different albums. There's the singer-songwriter one, the steel string one, and the classical one kind of all orbiting, but not going to be put under the same release name, you know? It, uh, well, that's a big so reason it's called Red Side Visible and not Tim Mirth Project, too. It's like, I try to yeah. keep the Tim Mirth thing like jazz, jazz fusion-ish stuff, but mostly jazz-ish. Like a, I mean, it's like a, a brand choice. Yeah. For specifically uh, that reason, because I painted myself into a corner by not doing that originally. Yeah. And I think, like, uh, you know, you look at it like Keens from Tool. Like, it's got Tool, it's a, fur, a perfect circle, and probably other projects I'm not know about. But, like, you don't go to... You know it's the same singer, but you know it doesn't sound exactly... It's totally different as soon as you, you put on yeah. a, a perfect circle versus throwing on a two album. It's just, or They're all going to be their unique side projects. And uh, that's kind of the point. And that allows him to be have creative freedom and get out there, but at the same time, still have the continual uh, brands that he's set up and plays into it. So maybe that's why it did take Tool 13 years to come out with a new album. <laughs> well, it is interesting, though, like how each one of those groups don't really evolve, too, right? Like they they like pick their sound and then they stuck to it. Mm -hmm. there's, there's, a, there's a good lesson probably to learn there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the, if you're selling a particular item, a particular thing, and you change it, and all of a sudden you lose customers, well, like, because they expected X, you know, to an yeah. extent. A lot of these guys, they're right in running their bands like a business. You know, it, it, you have to in order to stay afloat until you're, like, at super, super star level type of thing. And Yeah, but most people won't do it then either. That, that's why it's, it's so rare to find the Beatles slash Zeppelin slash Radiohead whatever bands that... Like we're willing to risk their popularity um, by cha by changing it. Well, that that's like you know it. it what's the way that Joe Rogan puts it? It's a, when you have fu money, you're more willing to take the the risk. It's like what what a radio have had kind of have to lose outside of like a fan base, but financially they're set for life. Well, they are like, now, but like there's a big difference between. I'm talking like. Pablo Honey to OK Computers, like that's like they committed almost career suicide with the Benz or whatever. Like the the transition is not linear. Like they were pretty big jumps. Uh, so yes. they, they they went from a they went to totally different stylistically almost to that. It, plenty of bands have tried to do that and failed big time. Yes. 
but the question is is like failure as in what not catching on marketing wise or you know totally dismantled and ended up on the street type of thing you know like what's the level of failure that uh would conduce that be um something that is like totally wiping them out is it like failure is like total fiscal annihilation or is it failure like losing a certain amount of fan base that would uh, wanted the same thing again but you kind of like broke the mold or is it i guess it's like it all depends on how you define it as an artist you know i just watched a thing uh, by some pop star she uh god i can't remember natalie imbruglia or something i don't know but like whatever happened to like x artists that had like you know the first album sold 10 million copies yeah or yeah. whatever and then like the the fourth one sold thirteen thousand, which sure. is like that's a, that's a hell of a decline um and why did they kind of like disappear and it was just talking about things like that but i highly would be um what's it I would never go, oh, they, they were a failure. They didn't, might not have kept up with their particular previous success, but they, I mean, if you sell that many copies of an album and have a huge store behind you and you end up going poor afterwards, that's just piss poor management. Well, I don't know because. Yeah. I, I mean, like, seriously. So, so almost like no bands on their first record, even if it sells some million albums, really have any money. No, I and that, that that's not where I'm driving at with that. I'm talking like, with this particular one, she made bank. Like, yeah. big buco buck behind the plus the tour too, and bringing in a huge amount of money. And that it's like she's not poor by any stretch of the terms now either. Um, and she's still kind of has like her little moderate niche success thing that's still it, it, she's still producing music and doing that. I wish I could remember her name, but I didn't care that much. It was more of a oh, I'm going to do my exercises now. Let's throw something up on YouTube to kind of kill some time. Um, while I'm practicing my trills or whatever, the, um, uh, I guess my point with that is like, you know, I think like if you get to, or, I know for myself, if I made X amount of money where I didn't have to worry about it again, I would be pushing genres like I wouldn't believe, you know, it's just like, oh, let's try this, you know, and let's try this over here. And maybe that's a little bit of the ADD musician in me. It's like, ooh, that's pretty. Let's do that. And then, okay, let's try and that's already, do That's already what I do. So. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like uh, I just happen to be stuck on a nylon string. The, um, so I think the, uh, that type of thing in terms of freedom and allowing yourself to develop is one of those catch 22s because it's like, if you want to continue the, the fiscal success, you got to go back to your pop band, so to speak. You know, it's like, okay, I got to go back and doing the same, like, thing to kind of make the money and then go back out again. But who knows? You know, I'm sitting well beneath a developed level at some of these people when they reach those things. So I don't know the intricacies of that. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I guess, I mean, it, I, it's easy for me to think of how you could lose a lot of money fast. You know? Yeah, oh, um, I agree. You know, say you had that first album with 10 million copies, and the next album was 2 million copies, and the next one was 200,000, and the next one was 10,000 or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, that whole time you had staff. And yeah. that there is a, they all cost money. And if you made 10 million the first time, the next one, when you don't sell as many, you're like, oh. And you're you know, you sell a tenth of as many tickets. Well, you still had to pay people that you thought you were going to sell as many. So it's like, well, where does that money come from? It's got to come from somewhere. 
and then you keep having these big drops and it's like it's easy to lose a lot of money fast mm-hmm. um so I, yeah i don't know i if if it's so easy to do when you have that kind of f you money mm-hmm. to just genre hop why do not more people do it like it just doesn't happen very often it's rare like you know maynard's kind of an interesting case but he sort of did it like he hit a lot of things on the mark you know just happened to be right time right there's a lot of things that worked for him he was very popular tool got huge and then perfect circle like nailed it in so then it was like okay now we can trust that maynard's gonna put out quality stuff no matter what it is Mm -hmm. um so you get this I don't know. There's a his his brand of himself was strong enough to carry those other things, but at the same time, it's not like he's so genre bending like all over the place. Um, yeah, I can't imagine him coming out with a country western album. Yeah. So no, so maybe that's what he's working on now. He <laughs> could. I, I hate, listen. The, just to say so much about his branding is that if he did something like that, I would totally be listening to it. Yeah, sure. No, well, well yeah. his his brand is strong in that you feel fairly confident. One, he's gonna sound good singing. He's he's got a singing style too. That's it's um it's pleasant. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like Dio or something like screaming <laughs> in your face or it's the not first thing Dream Theater. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's not. It's almost a timeless sound too, right? It's it's almost. I don't want to say it's generic, but it's because it's not generic. It's a very identifiable and unique in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. but it's it's sort of plain in a way that it it doesn't like it never sounds very dated. It's like not it's not full of like today's cliches versus yesterday's cliches or like it's it's a pretty safe sort of style <clears throat> but anyway um you feel generally confident that, that anything he sings on is going to sound pretty good and it's not going to be like so dated sounding or old or <laughs> um he's never going to be like wailing or doing like crazy runs or you know like you're <laughs> Like you're not anticipating any of those kind of things. Yeah, I, I would be surprised if Christina Aguilera-esque style of vocals came out of him. Yeah. Uh, but then again, I'd probably pay to hear it. <laughs> if he said he was going to do it, he'd be like, all right, I'll check that out. Yeah, um, for sure. It's, it's just one of those things. I don't know. It's interesting. The whole branding thing is interesting. But yeah, the gatekeepers, even at the like the small level, is a bummer. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's totally... And I mean, I think it'd be worth it. Maybe, maybe we should do this. We should do a whatever metal Facebook group where you can post whatever thing you're working on. Doesn't matter the genre, like, and do it completely open and be like, if, if people start to complain, we can go like, you don't necessarily have to be here. I, I think it only works though if you have a community that actually is involved. Like I said, there's plenty of Facebook groups and and forums and whatever where people just post and post and post like all kinds of stuff. But no one interacts with it because there's 3,000 posts a day. And it's like, 
well, there's no community. Let's do this. Let's, let, let me build on this thing because I think this might be a good idea. I think we'll see how. Plus, it, it could be extraordinarily time-consuming. But we could do the Wood Air and Metal Facebook group. Post whatever you want, and then you know, being the pompous host that I am, we can sit here and uh, review the stuff like in the podcast, like to do like a 20 minute section of like, this is the X person's music and maybe not a review, but just play it and talk about it and, and get it some airtime just to do it. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. It can be any <clears throat> genre. It doesn't matter. It just it happens to be an open forum and we keep it an open forum. You know, it, it might have to be limited if it takes off, but till then and sure, limited, sure. I mean, in the sense of like, if there's, 500 contributions in a day it's like yeah we're not gonna have time mm -hmm. to do that um well i think but... you have to you have, so some rules that i i do like on those groups is like well you can't post anything until you've interacted with so much stuff like, mm -hmm. like if you're not doing interactive posts and you're not commenting other people's stuff and checking it out you're not allowed to post i think that's fair enough you know and uh think... not just not just like a couple likes you know real quick but like yeah. You need to talk and discuss and check it out. And, you know, how much do you want to police that? But at least you can ask for it. Um, so if you see somebody just like, I put in like 17 videos a day on there and be like, hey, dude, you, well, you can put 17 videos a day, but you need to write, you know, 20 comments or something. Something like that. I mean, yeah. I don't think that necessarily gatekeeper ask at all, as much as it's requiring some skin. Yeah, some, some skin in the game. You know, it's like you have to at least be contributing something. It's not. This isn't a platform for you to just throw your thing out there and then walk away, type of thing. Of course, the, the easiest way to get around that is be like, if somebody does that, just don't start discussing the thing. It's like, well, yeah, they kind of left it here and don't interact with anybody else. So we'll yeah, leave it do up. You, do you delete it? Like, say you saw the no, same I, post. Well, say say you, because you're in other groups and you see the same post, exactly the same, same words, just totally copy-pasted in 17 other groups and then they paste it in there. <clears throat> um, just spam, basically spamming mm -hmm. their post. Um, do you delete it? You keep it. I don't know. I, I would put it. I would put not, it. The problem is you're not going to get any comment. Like you're not going to get any dialogue. Yeah, and I would put like my first impulse would be like this has been spammed everywhere, but I'm going to leave it here just because the point is to have some type of an open thing. So whatever, it might get traction, it might not. Who knows? You know, it. Uh, but it's not like it's taking up any of our particular bandwidth. It's just <laughs> a post that'll probably get buried if they're they're spamming. Well, but it might bury other posts. I, I I guess my point is, I I wouldn't be opposed, and I don't I wouldn't be opposed from my red side visible like pushing stuff. Is if it said, it can't be a spam post. Like if you have the same exact post. With like you can't do that. If you're gonna post a video or a song or something, you need to add some context to it. Like say, hey, this is what I wrote. This is what I was thinking. Here's where I did it. Some kind of something, so that there's something to talk about. Um. You you know, and then also you need to interact with other posts. I don't think that that's gatekeeping. That's not. That's not gatekeeping. That's just saying, no. hey, we want a community. We don't want 
um, just a place that people post a million videos and no one sees anything. Because there's plenty of that. There's, there's, there's no lack of that. Because mm -hmm. I, could, I could easily go post it on all those places, mm -hmm. and maybe I should, but like, it won't matter because no one will actually see it. Cool. Anyway. All right. Well, I'll let I you think... take care of that part. Yeah, I'll work on the the wood air metal uh, Facebook forum. Um, which I don't know. I think we should start that. Maybe we will in a couple of weeks. Once I'm done with the semester, then I'll have a little bit more free time to do that uh, <laughs> late at night. Um, anyways, so yeah, I think uh, I think this is as good a spot as any to kind of end it yeah. for today. That and my second COVID shot is starting to make me tired, so <laughs> it, it got to grow that. It is eleven thirty-seven, so it's not like it's yeah, my second my second COVID shot like two or three hours after. I was like, oh, I feel kind of tired. So I think you're doing better than I did. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel. I mean, my arm is ridiculously sore compared to uh, the first shot. Uh, the first shot I didn't even notice for a couple of days. This is like now it's painful. That which is causing me to do that more often because it's like let's let's circulate this stuff let's get it going but whatever so anyway are we still recording we are but i could okay so we could do like all right thanks for listening if you made it this far yeah. and uh we'll see y'all on the flippity flop ciao